The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this podcast are their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of UCLA Athletics, UCLA Gymnastics, or the Bruins Gymnastics alumni community. The content of this podcast is strictly for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. And learning it's not all about you, right? Um, as a as a gymnast and you know and in an individual sport and you're out there by yourself and your success depends is completely dependent on what you do mm-hmm. and it is all about you um that's a big transition into right. parenthood then it's 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 not all about you and it's not a reflection on you Welcome to the Bruin Gymnastics edition of the Resilience to Brilliance podcast, where you'll be inspired by riveting behind-the-scenes stories of UCLA gymnastics legends. I'm your host, Kim Hamilton-Anthony. Here we go. Jill Andrew Sprague competed for the Bruins from 1987 to 1990. She won two individual national titles on vault and balance beam. She finished her career at UCLA setting eight Bruin career records while earning eight All-American honors. Jill won the prestigious Honda Award in 1990 as the top collegiate athlete in the sport of gymnastics, and she was inducted into UCLA's Hall of Fame in 2001. I had a chance to sit down with Jill to chat about what resilience has looked like for her as an athlete and as a law student. And we also discussed how the lessons she's learned along the way really did become useful when it came to her parent journey, which didn't quite turn out the way she expected. Jill, thank you so much for being here today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Kim. All right. Well, I have to start off with this question. Of course, you were one of UCLA's greats, yet I've heard you say how some of your coaches didn't necessarily think you were that talented. I mean, this is in spite of you winning two individual national championship titles, NCAA and becoming an eight-time All-American. Okay, so what's the deal with that? That was kind of the narrative as I was coming up through club gymnastics and um, my club coach was always, you know, well, she's not the most talented, um, but, you know, she's she manages to get it done. And, Would they say and that, that to your face or uh-huh. in your earshot? Oh, yeah. No yeah, way. Or to reporters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so, oh. yeah, so there are some um, newspaper articles probably when I was getting ready to go to UCLA or oh my goodness. some, you know, about gymnastics that talk about my lack of talent. <laughs> <laughs> that is unbelievable. Um, well, it, it's um, it, it's true, you know, in a sense. There, I, there was always somebody more talented than I was in the gym. And there was always somebody that I looked up to or wished that I had, you know, I wish I could swing like that or I wish mm. I could do what other people could do in the gym. Um, but ultimately, I was just sort of steady and consistent. And um, and I think my work ethic kind of took the place of talent. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, so, so, yeah, yeah. It, I don't so know. it wasn't necessarily untrue, but it was definitely something that I, you know, had to deal with. I mean, I think you had to have had some talent to go as far as you did and to do as well as you did. I mean, I mean, that's just my argument. I, I don't, 
I don't think I'm wrong, but I think there was some talent in there too, Jill. <laughs> now, did you find yeah. it as an insult? You know, I I don't think I did. I found it more like a challenge. Mm. Um, so I don't think I was I was necessarily insulted by it, and I didn't okay. necessarily disagree with it. I think wow. that I certainly had certain things that I I could do well. I didn't, you know, I wasn't hopeless. <laughs> um, and I, you know, and I've always been inc- very strong, physically mm-hmm. strong. So that was always something that um, really helped with gymnastics. So seeing it as more of a of a challenge than a put down, okay. I I think served me well. Yeah, and and I I think so too. Just watching you in the gym. For those of you who don't know, Jill and I came into UCLA as freshmen together. And uh, so I got to see a lot of that grit, a lot of that tenacity. And you are just an incredible athlete, incredible, incredible mentally and physically. And it was fun to watch you. Now, gymnastics is one of those sports where, shall I say, it's ripe for injury opportunities. I was actually talking with the AD from another Division One school, not UCLA, and he was saying that one of their biggest line items for expenses had to do with gymnastics injuries. Now, I don't know about wow. you, but it was a surprise to me, and maybe it should have been, but one of the things that you were able to do is to press through, and I don't know that injuries really affected you significantly because one of the things that you're known for, of course, is being the only UCLA gymnast to ever compete in all four events in every single meet all four years of your career. How in the world did you do that? Well, I was a lot of good luck. Um, I was really lucky on the injury front. And I think that's where the physical strength comes in. Mm -hmm. I was strong enough that... um, I think it helps protect my knees and my ankles. And, you know, there, there always are injuries that you have to work through as a gymnast, as any athlete. And I was lucky that those were injuries I could work through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I didn't have to sit out any meets or, um, you know, I w- it was, it definitely was a point of pride that I was on the, in the lineup for every mm-hmm. event, for every meet, for four years. I, yeah. I, I certainly am proud of that, but I, I, their luck had a lot to do with it, too. <laughs> there was a lot of talent as well and hard work that enabled you to get as strong as you were. Now, do you think your mental game also had something to do with it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that I had a um, somewhat unique ability to focus. I was it was extremely focused in workouts and in meets in particular. I remember walking in freshman year um, when you and I started at UCLA and I looked across the gym and I looked at Gigi Zosa mm-hmm. and um, and she was laser focused and I thought that's that's what I want to be and um and so I kind of took it to heart and I, I love and that. it was, you know, something that got me through the a mental piece of gymnastics mm-hmm. for many years as well as just being able to focus, block everything right. else out mm-hmm. and not 
not get psyched out, really. Yeah. I I can still remember the look. You would look like this through your eyebrows. <laughs> and that was your focus. Oh, she's but, ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. don't don't even distract. Don't even try to distract her because it's not happening. Yeah, my husband gets that look sometimes. Sal. Oh, really? Mm. <laughs> I don't think I want to be on the other end mm-hmm. of that look. No. <laughs> okay, so we, we moved through your gymnastics career. Many of your challenges actually came after your years at UCLA, starting with law school. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think um, I I felt the need to just move on quickly from gymnastics. And mm. if I had to do it over again, I'm not sure I would necessarily make that same choice. Really? Um, but I, I'm going to pause you on that one. Sure. So tell me what made you want to move away from gymnastics quickly. I hear that a lot yeah, from yeah. different athletes. So what was your reasoning? For me, it was I didn't want to get stuck in the past. I didn't want to get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I I loved every second of my gymnastics career. Really, I, I don't have any of those big trauma stories necessarily. I really loved mm-hmm. gymnastics. And I loved competing at UCLA. I didn't want to get stuck. I didn't want that to be all I, the, my only kind of identity. Um, and mm-hmm. so I really thought I had to just move on quickly and move on to yeah. the next thing. And I, I don't know that I savored the mm-hmm. experience as much as I, as I should have. Okay. So if you were to go back, you would probably spend more time savoring all that you accomplished. I mean, not many people can say that they've done what you've been able to do as an athlete and a student. I think I would have. I think I would have enjoyed the ride a little more um, and, you know, savored the the time at UCLA, mm-hmm. not been in a hurry, um, you know, done some maybe interim job, you know, maybe stayed in the area. I'm not sure, but I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't do that. And I, mm-hmm. I just kind of rushed right into law school thinking that was the next, next greatest thing to do. And, um, uh-huh. and, <laughs> and it was a, it was a hard dose of reality. It really was. Ooh, really? So yeah. you've been re- resilient in your sport and now you got to practice some of that resilience in law school. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was a whole a whole different um ball of wax. It was um yeah, I went from feeling very confident in my abilities, you know, and my um and what I could do and and um and law school was really put me in my place. It mm-hmm. was it was much harder than I anticipated. Um, I did well undergrad without having to work that hard. I mm-hmm. I was able to um, I had I was able to have a really good good time in college and still do okay. <laughs> and um, and this was this was a rude awakening. Like, wait a minute, you're not you're not that smart, <laughs> you know. And I didn't have gymnastics anymore. And wow. so you know, there was a definite. I think I think most athletes will tell you there's a transition. You know, when mm-hmm. you're moving away from your sport into the next phase of life. There's there's a sense of loss and it's a transition. So it was that that transition coupled with getting smacked in the forehead with really hard law school exams and a very competitive <laughs> you know class and mm-hmm. you know not 
you know, not being at the top of my class, you know, being right in the middle. And I almost left after first year. Um, really? I'd made a mistake. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But like, again, not being the most talented, um, you know, gosh. I think I think there's a theme that you just kind of push through. Right. And, mm. and um, you know, and, and working hard will will get, you know, the difference, the difference with to me with law school, with gymnastics, there was a direct correlation. The harder you worked in the okay. gym, mm-hmm. the better your gymnastics was. Right. Law school, not so much. I mean, you, I, I could work really hard, but I, you know, I might not do as well on the test as I uh, thought I could have. Or it, it was just, um, mm-hmm. just a different, different experience, um, and definitely um, a growth experience. Sounds like it. So you were about to leave law school, but what made you stay? I had a conversation with my dad. And, um, and he kind of gave me a reality check. Hmm. Um, and it wasn't, it was kind of like, you think you failed because you got bees? Like what is happening here? (laughs) You know, like, like, you know, you don't, it just, just a reality check that you're doing fine. And, Hmm. um, you're not a failure. And so just keep going. Wow. And um, yeah, he was right. But in your mind, you're thinking with bees, you're not doing well at all. And I wonder if some of that comes from being in a sport where you are trained to be perfect and to shoot for perfection every single time. And when you don't get that A, it's just unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, expecting perfection and mm-hmm. and absolute success um and when you yeah and really feeling kind of your world gets rocked when um when that's not happening despite your best efforts you know i felt right. like i worked harder in law school than maybe i ever even did in the gym you know so that was wow. um definitely an experience mm-hmm. now there's something else that happened in your adult world. And that's when you moved from being that lawyer. Now, now, let me backtrack a little bit. When you graduated from law school, you went into the profession. Were there any challenges that you faced there where you had to be resilient? Absolutely. Um, just the uh, the workload. Um, I went into a law firm in Chicago and uh, working 70 hours a week, 75 hours a week, and um, really having to pay your dues and mm-hmm. um, and really try evaluating what was important to me. Was it important to be a fancy lawyer? Was it important mm-hmm. to be, um, you know, true to myself? You know, what, what where were my priorities? I, I was married at the time and was looking toward starting a family at some point. I didn't mm-hmm. know when, um, but certainly the the early years of practicing law um were formative and and challenging and again it was just the keep your head down and keep putting the work in um that sort of got me through that Mm -hmm. so you wanted this career but then you also wanted a family and eventually those things happened now, was parenting what you expected it to be? No. 
<laughs> no, no. There's a, there's a theme in uh, adulting that um, nothing is as you expect it to be. Mm. Um, so, so no, I, um, you know, and I, I worked, um, I, I, I worked all the way through um, raising my kids with some breaks here and there. And one of the breaks that I took was to address some learning differences with my oldest child and um, and fi- just figure out, you know, what what he needed and how I could help him. And I, I just made the realization that I couldn't I couldn't do both things well. Hmm. And so I, I did take a step back from my career um, for about six years where I was wow. I worked part time. Um, and really put my energy into my my kids and and particularly mm-hmm. my oldest child with learning differences and mm-hmm. as he grew so did the issues um you know big kids big problems kind okay. of a thing and so that you know the teenage years were were hard and mm-hmm. um and you know just dealing with mental health in this day and age and mm-hmm. social media and oh, gosh. devices and, and trying to trying to navigate that because we didn't grow up with that and we right. we didn't know um how um impactful that mm-hmm. technology can be on kids and particularly when you have a kid who's more vulnerable and mm-hmm. um maybe slower processing and um you know it's feels feels that he's different knows that these things are different and mm-hmm. but wishes they weren't and and you know it's a it's a struggle every day so having to kind of slow down and you know make myself available mm-hmm. for him was um you know definitely a growth experience but um you Do know you feel- it's still day to day yeah do you feel like that was the right choice for you? Because, I mean, you think about it, you, you're an attorney and you work so hard to get to the level you were and then to take a step back for six years. That's a big deal. So tell me um, why that choice was the best choice for you. Yeah. And do you have any regrets? The short answer is no. I don't have any regrets. Do I think at times where would I be mm-hmm. if I had just kept, you know, on the path I was on professionally? Sure. Sometimes I think about, I think about that and think, oh, had I just stayed at this one job, you know, I would I would be here by now. Right. You know. Um, but the answer is no. I don't regret that, and um, I, I do think that I made the right choice. Mm-hmm. I life is is prioritizing, yeah. And um, and I think I think my priority being my children at that time period was was the right decision. Yeah, I love hearing that, and the fact that it's okay to not continue on the career path that you had planned. Sometimes there are bumps in the road and we have to make adjustments, right? Yeah, it's all about pivoting. Yeah. And 
As you were working with your son and going through with him all the challenges that he had, did you ever blame yourself for any of it? Or did you ever think, oh, if I would have just done this, then maybe things would be different? I don't think so. Um, I mean, did I ever think I could have handled things better? For sure. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and I can, there's like, I can like immediately come up with like three examples where like, yeah, I could have totally handled that better. Mm. But did I blame myself for, um, for his challenges? I know. I don't, I don't know what I would have done differently mm-hmm. that would have made everything okay. I think it was, you know, this was the, the hand we were dealt and you play it the best you can. Um, certainly I, there's certain things I would do differently, you know, in, in the moment of a specific situation, but overall mm-hmm. I, I've never really felt re- like, like that I, it's, I'm responsible for right. kind of that, the situation mm-hmm. as a whole. You have the opportunity to decline answering this, and that's something that you've taught me (laughs) as an attorney, as my attorney (laughs) in the past, (laughs) is, Kimmy, you don't have to answer that. So, Jill, you don't have to answer this. But I'm wondering if you're willing to share maybe an example of one of the challenging times where perhaps you weren't sure um, if you could keep going where maybe you felt like giving up, but you know you can't, right? When you're handling your own children. Was there ever a time when you just said, I don't know if I'm cut out for this? Yeah, we, and, and this goes back to pivoting. Um, mm-hmm. We we moved um, to a school district that, that I thought was going to be really good for them. They had a very good special ed program and um, and so I thought this is going to solve our problems. We're going to move to this great school district, and it's going to you know everything's going to be easy. Um, and it was really hard on him. The move mm. itself was really hard, and um, you know, and he he gutted through it. Um, but then you know, by the time the high school years came, and and the the social pressures and that, you know, he was, he was desperately unhappy. Mm. Um, and so we tried a different school and, and moved, moved him to a different school. And, um, and that came with a whole new set of problems. And, um, and so it's, you know, you, you pivot, you try different things. You're, everything you're doing is with the best intention. Course. And then it, when it doesn't work out, yeah, you have there that feeling of just what el- what else am I supposed to do? How, yeah, I don't how how are we going to get through this? And that's kind of where the, the the sheer force of will comes in. <laughs> and and maybe my parenting moments weren't always you know textbook. <laughs> <laughs> I think we um, can but, all say that. But that whole like um like just putting your shoulder down and, and just pushing through it mm. was very familiar to me. It felt like something you would do in gymnastics, like just, just push through it. And, and so there, that kind of translated into, you know, getting, 
getting my son through some of these mm-hmm. tough spots. Um, almost like, you know, get on my back and let me just carry you up the hill kind of thing, right? <laughs> I got like, you. Can I just by pure force of will get you through this? And mm-hmm. the answer is no, you can't by your own pure force of will control or get somebody else through something. But it wasn't for lack of trying. Right. What's the biggest lesson you learned from your son through all of this? I'm trying to say something that's not trite or cheesy. I mean, cause, <laughs> because the first thing that comes to my mind is unconditional love. It's just, wow. you know, um, <laughs> not putting your expectations on somebody else, just mm. loving them for who they are. Um, but it, it's more than that. I just can't. That's the kind of trite way to say it. Um, and learning it's not all about you, right? Um, mm-hmm. As a as a gymnast and, you know, in an individual sport and you're out there by yourself and your success depends, is completely dependent on what you do. And it is all about you. Um, that's a big transition right. into parenthood. And it's, it's, it's not all about you and it's not a reflection on you. Mm. Right? That's key. Yeah. That was one of the questions I had was, did you ever feel like you needed to fix it so that you can look better or so that it doesn't reflect negatively on you as a parent or you as an individual? And maybe that's a bad question, but I have it. I'm curious. I mean, and, and the reason I don't think it's a bad question. I think it's I think it's sort of spot on, and, and that's what you have to get over. Mm-hmm. So I think you're spot on. Like you, the initial feeling, and I feel like I got over this fairly early on. But this, like, how can I fix this so that you know I I look good and I have this perfect child and. You, it, it and again, it's back to it's not about you and um and so I really did make an effort to just be open about the struggles because mm-hmm. because it's not about me. It's about what's best for for my kid, right. So um I can be absolutely completely proud of him mm-hmm. for what he's accomplished given the hand he's dealt right Mm -hmm. and you know it's not about you know my kid got into harvard or my kid you know is a Rhodes scholar or whatever it is right Mm -hmm. it's not that's you know those are the kind of the things you think of when you're young like i'm gonna have this perfect (laughs) child who's gonna Uh you know cure cancer um and (laughs) you know that's stuff doesn't matter really Mm. ultimately yeah I love that and I love that you talked about unconditional love I don't think that's cheesy loving someone for who they are and not for what they can do or what they do for you that's huge I, I think as we think about our sport we were judged we were loved when we performed well and Maybe we felt that we were loved a little less if we didn't perform well. And for you to 
come to that realization very quickly that, you know what, this is my kid. I love him. He doesn't have to be perfect. He doesn't have to perform or accomplish certain things in order for me to to extend love. I just love him just because he's him. Yep. Yeah. How is he doing now? He's doing well. Um we, you know, it's day to day, day to day. But mm-hmm. the, but but on the whole, um, he's doing well. He's doing well. He's um, you know, doing, getting ready to start adulting and right. um, and <laughs> do it independently. I mean, they, you know, there's still a lot of support, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, as we speak, he's doing study abroad in Sweden. Wow. Pretty, pretty nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Pretty nice. So, yeah. And he's enjoying, you know, he's been there for two weeks. So, um, so oh far, goodness. so good. He's, he's loving it. Yeah. It's really good. Mm. Jill, there is a mom or a dad or both who are listening to your story right now. And they might be right in the middle of those challenges with their own children for different reasons. And maybe they feel like, even though they know they can't give up, but they feel like, I don't know if I can, how much longer I can handle this. I don't know what to do to get through this. What would you tell them to provide encouragement? Yeah, so I think I would just say, um, you're never alone. and I kind of realized this later than I should have, um, but there's always resources and there are always um, people you can turn to and people who want to help. And, you know, if you if you make the space to think about your resources, the people in your life, you know, who you could maybe talk to and um one thing leads to another. You talk to one person and they they refer you to somebody else. And the network of support is really, it's really critical. And you should never feel like you're in it by yourself. We need each other, right? We do. We do. Absolutely. We do. Well, I believe that there is this state of being where individuals are operating out of the fullness of who they are and all that they have to offer. And I believe that when we are utilizing our gifts, talents, personalities, our entire makeup to impact the lives of other people, whether it's our children, the people we work with, people in our community, um, I believe that we are living in what I call brilliance mode. So I'm gonna close out our interview with asking you the question, what does living in brilliance mode look like for Jill Andrew Sprague? That's hard for me to answer, frankly. I, I you know, um, there are, yeah, it's hard for me to answer. I will answer it in the present and, and in what I'm doing now. And, mm-hmm. and when I feel like I'm, yes, brilliant, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in brilliance mode. Um, and and for me now, where I am, you know, my my kids are both in college and so I'm not day-to-day parenting. I'm mm-hmm. um, general counsel at Daisy Transit. And so I have a team. I have a team of 22 people. And so when I am in brilliance mode, I'm I'm 
getting the team where they need to be, you know, getting getting things done and getting it done in a way where everybody feels like they're accomplishing something that they are adding and that they're that they're they're proud of those accomplishments mm-hmm. and what they're contributing and you know it, it, and that they they want to do more and and when i can when i can help motivate people to come in and you know it, it, you know work is work but the when you're really clicking with a team mm-hmm. and and you're doing important things that feel good, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it's brilliant. I love that. Thank you so much yeah. for taking time out of your busy schedule, Jill. I appreciate it. And it was fun talking with you. And thanks for uh, sharing some of the challenges that you faced and how you were able to overcome. Just keep pressing through. Yeah. <laughs> Lower your shoulder and just go. Lower your shoulder and go. (laughs) (laughs) The best advice ever. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Kim. So nice to talk to you, spend time with you. You know, there are a few things that I took away from my conversation with Jill Andrew Sprague. The first was the importance of being laser-focused when it comes to accomplishing your goals. We can easily, any of us, can be easily distracted by naysayers who don't believe you're talented enough because you don't fit their predefined ideas of what true talent is. But there's just something about listening to how Jill turned those negative comments into fuel to boost her determination and her belief in herself and her ability to achieve her dreams. And I believe all of us can do the same, whatever those dreams may be. My next takeaway from Jill was to not let your inability to be perfect cause you to quit pursuing your heart's desire. I know sometimes in my own life, I've allowed the fear of not being perfect to prevent me from even beginning to pursue something I desire in the first place. When perfection is the only standard that's acceptable to us, it can be paralyzing. It's like, it's like prison, this prison of perfectionism that holds many of us captive. Now, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with striving to be your absolute best. But maybe sometimes, sometimes in life, being excellent is enough. <laughs> when I think about it, as a gymnast, it is quite possible that What we consider excellent is someone else's perfect. I guess it's all about perspective. So perfectionism can paralyze our pursuits. And the last thing I'll share that really resonated with me is what Jill has learned from her son, who has learning differences. She felt like it was cheesy, maybe a bit cliche, but it wasn't to me. I thought it was powerful. She said that her son taught her unconditional love and the importance of not putting your expectation on somebody else and just loving them for who they are. She also said that parenting is not about you. 
I've heard way too many stories from young people and even people well into their 50s who are still trying to please their parents. So I wonder if there is enough unconditional love going around these days. Sometimes, sometimes young people feel the pressure to earn the love and acceptance of their own parents by performing well at school or in athletics or in the workplace. And sometimes we as parents want to live out our own dreams through the lives of our children. So we pressure them to do the things we want them to do, go to the schools we want them to go to, major in what we want them to major in, and get that job that we've always wanted to have. But I, I don't think any child should have to earn a parent's love. And it's wonderful that Jill, this super high achiever, can model this unconditional love for her own son, for us. I think it's just the way it should be. There is a great reward for that. And by that, I mean loving unconditionally. For the child, most definitely, there's a reward, but also for the parent. I don't know if you caught this, but as I listened to Jill describe her perspective of having this unconditional love for her son, I sensed that she now has this incredible amount of freedom. Freedom to just be. No hiding, no pretending, just being. The personal growth she has experienced, being a mom of a child who has learning differences, it seems like it's set her free from those chains of perfectionism. It's increased her perspective on life overall. And I believe that it's made her a much stronger woman and a much stronger parent. I really admire that. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about Jill Andrew Sprague, check out our show notes on inbrilliancemode.com slash podcast. And to connect with Bruin Gymnastics alumni on Instagram, follow us at UCLA Gym Alumni. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of Brilliance Mode is prohibited.